Turn myself on. Turn myself on. Am I on? Am I on? Am I on? I am. Excellent. Life Church Southampton. That's a good name for a church, isn't it? Life Church. There's life here this morning because God's here. Amen? Okay, fantastic. Well, my name's Alid. I'm one of the members here and part of the leadership team. And I hope you've had a good summer. Have you had a good summer? Lou and I have just come back from Portugal. We went for a month. Yeah. But don't worry, it did rain for about six or seven hours of the time we were there. And uh, no, it was fantastic. I did miss you guys, though. It's great to be back. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of sharing the word this morning. And we're going to be looking at a subject which is really close to my heart. And in fact, you'll find this morning that it's close to your heart as well. You just might not know it yet. And it's worship. And I'm not just going to look at this whole idea of a lifestyle of worship, like it reads in Romans 12, holy and pleasing to God. I'm talking about actual corporate singing songs. Actually, what, like we've done this morning already, worship, praise to God, whether it's here on a Sunday morning, whether it's at home, on your own, or whether you do it as a family. I want to look at those times of worship this morning. I want to try and pick up a few key principles of encounter and what it means for us in this context of New Testament worship. Okay. Why? I think it's quite important at the moment, especially in this day and age when we have different streams of churches doing worship in different ways. And uh, lots of people doing different worship in different ways. And actually, we need to understand the key principles of what it is for God to actually... It says in the Bible that he earn, these are the worshippers that God earnestly seeks. And it's people that worship in spirit and truth. What does that mean? I want to have a quick exploration about that this morning. I just wanted to start by showing you a picture of some worship. Um, worship is a word that comes from the Old Test. Uh, sorry, it comes from the Old English phrase, and what it literally means is to ascribe worth to something. To ascribe worth to something. So it's those things that maybe you give your time to, maybe those things that you give your money to, your emotions, your energy, your affections. Those things that are of worth to us. Now here's some people giving their time and giving their money. Does anyone want to hazard a guess whereabouts that event is or what's going on in that picture? Anyone? Please don't be shy. Just shout out if you want to. I don't mind. Whereabouts is that happening? What's going on? Anyone want to have a guess? New Day. Nope. Not New Day. Bethel. Nope. It's actually a U2 concert. Last year. U2 concert. And for all intents and purposes, it does look like worship, doesn't it? They've got the right stance. You can only kind of do that stance at church, otherwise you look a bit odd. And you've got the hands raised and they're singing. My understanding of the Bible, that is not what New Testament spirit-filled worship looks like. Let's have about this one. Next photo. Ah. All right, clearly football fans celebrating. I think this is Chelsea. I don't know much about football. Chelsea, I think it is. It's clearly not Gillingham, otherwise they wouldn't be looking like that, would they? <laughs> or Liverpool. Uh, but again, not worship. What about the next one? What about this couple here? Hmm. <laughs> this couple here. I got this photo from an article I read in the Daily Mirror. And the article was titled, We Turned Rover into Pullover. <laughs> yeah? Oh, Yes. Dog lovers, what was of worth to them? Here we go. Dog lovers Beth and Brian Willis have kept a warm memory of their much-loved pets in the form of his and hers winter jumpers made from the animal's hair. 
After each of their two pedigrees passed away, sadly, the couple had yarn spun from strands of pet hair combed over the years from their carpets. (laughs) Beth, 71, who used 40 ounces of hair per sweater, said, Some people think it's disgusting, (laughs) but it seems normal to us. They go through the wash just like ordinary clothes and they last forever. And retired removals man Brian73 said, It's pretty much waterproof. I've always got a sweat on by the time I get from the bus to the shops. Brilliant. I love articles like that. I know that's more of an extreme case, but still, my point stands. All of us worship or place worth in something. Every single one of us. In fact, we are made, we are created, we are designed, it's in us, to place worth in things. Someone or something you will place worth in that thing. The question this morning is, who do you ascribe worth to most? That's the question. And I think we can agree that there's nothing wrong with you two. There's nothing wrong with Chelsea. Some people disagree with that. There's nothing wrong in in its own right with dogs, in their own right. But when in Exodus, God says, you will have no other God besides me. You will have no other God before me. It challenges me. It challenges us, even today. 3,500 years after God's command, in a desert which is 2,500 miles away, the command still stands, you are to have no other God before me. And that's our challenge. So we're going to look at what God desires for us in terms of worship. I'm going to pray, and then I've invited Kevin to come and read it to us. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 145, okay? Which, if you want, you can look at that in your Bibles. It's not going to come up behind me because Kevin's going to read it over us or sing it over us. I think he's going to read it. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that we are able to worship you. Father God, I thank you that you're a God of love. Thank you that you're so patient with me. Thank you that you're a God who has everything in your hand. Lord, when we sing sing songs like this morning, indescribable, incomparable, you know the depths of my heart, yet you love me the same. Lord, it blows me away. You are amazing, God. And Lord, I pray as we look at some of these principles of New Testament worship, will you encounter us this morning? We want to know you more. Lord, we know that good New Testament worship means we come into it and we go out changed. We're not the same. It means godly obedience to change in our lives. So I pray, Lord, would you help us to hear and be obedient to your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Kevin, do you want to come and read this psalm? So psalm 145. A psalm of praise. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day. I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate 
your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the, des- satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. That was the last psalm written by King David. And uh, King da- I mean, the psalms were written by a number of authors. And one way that I'll describe the authors of the psalms is that they are people just like you and me. And not that we're kings, but what I mean is that they have the same temptations... They've had in many ways the same struggles. They don't live void of reality. They're not in any way got rose tinted spectacles on. They say it as it is. And we can take comfort from that that this morning as I go through these principles. So I'm going to take three principles from King David in this psalm, which I feel will really help us when it comes to worshipping, praise and worshipping him. And they're not in any way overly deep or theologically challenging, But the danger is in the simpleness that if you miss them, you'll miss them by a mile. They're the basics of worship that we've got to get right if it's going to be New Testament God-honouring worship, okay? Okay, so three points. The first one's the longest, and the other two will be shorter, I promise. The first point, what King David does, he recalibrates. What he does, he gains a true perspective on who God is. In other words, David starts with God. He doesn't start with himself. He doesn't start with the situations around him. He starts with God. The starting point of worship must always, always be God. It must always be God. As soon as you take God out the forefront of your worship, it will no longer become New Testament worship. In fact, we might as well be at a U2 gig or a Chelsea football match because that's all you're doing. If God's not in the centre of your worship, It is no longer worship. Okay? 
Lou and I have just recently bought a house and we've been trying to do some modifications to the house. We've been putting panels on the walls and worktops. The thing we've found out in time is that most of the things that have been done before us aren't level. And it's a pain. They haven't used plumb lines, they haven't used spirit levels, they haven't used square edges. And it means now that whatever we're putting up in our house is not going to be 100% level because whatever we're fixing it to isn't right. In worship, if you don't start with God, you certainly won't finish with him. In fact, the real risk is is that you'll end up doing self-worship and that's a real dangerous something we need to really repent of. We've got to make sure that we start with God. Now the problem is, when we start with God, often our view of God is just far too small. Which is why I've I've kind of titled this message as Breaking the Small God Box. Because we are at real risk of starting our worship times here and not here. We need to gain a true perspective, we need to recalibrate ourselves with what it is that God is and what it says about him in his word. So let's have a look at verse 3. Let's look at what the psalmist says here, because he doesn't say them flippantly. There's something here that we need to really learn from. It says, verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Say most worthy of praise for me. Most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Say no one can fathom. No one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. I can sometimes fool myself into thinking that I have somehow got a measure of God. Maybe you can relate to that. Sometimes you just think, I think I understand God now. Honestly, I'm just bearing my heart here. I felt that. I felt that sometimes. I feel like, I think I understand what God means there. Or I understand, I think I, I generally understand, okay, there's a God without limit. I, I think I've got some kind of measure of what God is like. The truth is, Alid Cousins will never, ever fully understand the depths and the magnitude and the magnificence of the God he worships. And that's where I need to start my worship times is, God, you are incomparable, indescribable, absolutely indescribable. There is no fathoming the unfathomable. God is bigger than anything that I have ever seen. God is more knowledgeable than I could ever know. His strength knows no limit. His presence has no boundaries. God is amazing. He's absolutely amazing. But so often in our churches, and sometimes we might even just small box God a little. Just start with a small, safe, tidy view of what God is. We cut him short. We sell him out. And we miss it. And when you do that in your worship, if you miss it, you'll know when, because the worship is dull, the worship is boring, And the worship, in most cases, is irrelevant because actually, even though you're worshipping God, it's not the God of the Bible. First thing that David does, he recalibrates. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. I don't know whether you've ever at night time gone out where there's no light pollution and looked at the stars. Have you done that? I've done that a number of times. It's probably my favourite part of creation, if I'm honest. 
beyond the sunset, sunrise, everything else, to look at a dark sky. Five years, five years ago, Lou and I had our honeymoon, and we went in Egypt into the Sinai Desert, and we turned the lights off, and all you could see were stars. Thousands and thousands, if not millions, of stars. And not just in front of me, wherever I could look in the sky. Radiant stars burning for his glory. Burning for his glory. We need to right-size God this morning. You see, the psalmist, when David speaks about those kind of things in the Bible, he didn't have orbiting satellites, he didn't have big telescopes to look through. He looks with his eyes at creation, he says, God, you are bonkers amazing. And through the years, we have learned much more with technology, we have seen so many more things, and yet, again and again, we seem to be blown away with the things that God has done in creation, and God's thinking, is that all you've got? Is that the biggest telescope you've got? Do you know what, there is over a hundred billion stars that we know of just in our own satellite, in our own solar system, in our own galaxy. And it says that God put every single one there, and he knows every single one by name. Every single one. And it says that he put them there. We need to right-size God this morning. His greatness no one can fathom, or as as Jesus says, as God says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Lord. I was reading Isaiah 40 a few days ago where it says, who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked out the heavens? We will never know the depths of the universe but it says that God's just there. There's the universe. That's the grandness, that's the greatness of the God that we worship. This is what God did. He spoke the stars into being. He knows them all by name. He marked them off with his hand. And even though we have a very limited knowledge of our own universe, who knows what else is out there just burning for his glory? We will never see them. We will never hear them but God's put them there anyway. And what do they do? They just continuously burn for his glory. We need to right-size God this morning. We don't worship out of tradition or routine. God forbid that as a church, what we do on a Sunday morning is just because we've always done it. We don't worship out of tradition. It's our knowledge and our understanding of God, this recalibration, this knowledge of the truth that leads us to ecstatic, reverent, reflective, edifying, glorifying worship to the one that we hear about. If you think about David's example in 2 Samuel, I don't know if you've ever seen it, when they bring the Ark of the Covenant back, and it says that David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. I don't even know what that looks like. I have a feeling if I came up on a Tuesday night to Tom Boogie, it might just about be there. Yeah, the Ark kind of, why? I don't know what they do. I've seen it a couple of times, brilliant. In fact, you should come up and watch it, it's excellent. I, have, I do not get the impression that David, dancing with all his might, is just mildly impressed with some of the things that God has done. Sometimes I feel I could come and my, I'm just, I feel I'm just mildly impressed. Hold on, the stars. We've got to right-size God this morning. We've got to break apart this small God box that we've somehow created for ourselves. 
David wasn't mildly impressed. And in fact, I don't think he was expressing outwardly to show off. I don't think in any way he was... Have you ever had like an embarrassing dad or a friend? Just, oh, stop doing that, you're embarrassing me. I don't think he had any regard for the people around him. Honestly, I don't think that. I think that what had happened is that he... In fact, John Piper says this, we belittle God when we go through the outward motions of worship and take no pleasure in his person. If we're like this, and we're taking no pleasure in God, in his person and who he is, it's not worship. We're belittling God. And what happened here with David is that David saw something, he was revealed something of the character of God that made him dance with all his might, despite everyone else looking at him and thinking, all right, mate. There's something about the revealed character of God that leads us to true worship. So often after busy weeks and stressful mornings, we can forget this first principle. Today, it's all about me. When actually I realise in this verse it is not about me, but that I am very, very small and I'm here to worship a God who is very, very big. Very big. We need to right-size God. We need to recalibrate ourselves this morning. The second thing that I see in these verses is God is all things good. So not only does David understand that God is a big God and he's the God of the universe, he understands that God is a good God of love, of justice, of peace and of faithfulness. All of those words are within that chapter. It says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. Listen, he's good to all, not just those that he saved. He is good to all that he has made. All he has made. He has compassion on all he has made. God is so patient. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. This in the chapter is where we go from the bigness of God, the God who put the stars into space, and yet he knows the intimate detail of your life. This is where we go from the grandness of God into the detail of your life. God who threw the stars into space, who knows them by name, says that he knitted me together in my mother's womb. He knows the hairs on my head and he knows me by name. Jack, when you come before God, he knows you by name. He knows every situation that you've gone through. And David understood that. It's sometimes difficult to make that transition in our minds from this God who is indescribable, incomparable, yet relational. He's a God that, though he threw the stars into space, he has a vested interest in me as a child, as a mighty one. Someone that he is put his time and even his life to. Sometimes difficult to make that transition. Do you know what? God takes more delight in me than he does in any other part of creation. Do you know that? God takes more delight in us as men and women as he does for any other part of creation. He values you. He's put his life and his all into you above anything else. And David understood something of the compassion of God and the faithfulness of God through the good times 
and the bad. Through the bad times, God is good, God is faithful. Through the good times, God is good, God is faithful. This realignment to the truth means actually, despite what's happened to me, God, you are good. Because it's truth, and I read about it, and I understand it to be true. You are faithful. Just the last thing, the third principle. So we've had a realignment to the truth, an understanding of who God in his character is. The last thing is, we now get a backstage pass to the Holy of Holies. Now this is something slightly different to what King David experienced. Because King David in the Old Testament, before Christ died on the cross, there were certain things that King David would have to, would have, to have done in a sense of worship. King David, despite the magnitude of God, despite the fact that God knows David and wants a relationship with him, David would go and worship at the temple. He would not be allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. If we imagine the Hastings Centre now, today, to be like the temple, and the temple wasn't as big as this, especially in the desert, it was a tent, right? But if this was the Hastings Centre, was the temple, we would have had the outer courts, the inner courts, holy place, and the Holy of Holies, which is where, which is where the Ark of the Covenant would have dwelt, where God's presence, his manifest presence would have been. Now let me tell you, if you were back then, you may have got in the outer courts. You may have done. A few of you, you may have even got into the inner courts. I'll tell you what, you wouldn't have got in the holy place and no one would have gone in the holy of holies. Some of you maybe need to be a little bit humble this morning. You think, well, you know, I, I could have gone there, maybe I could have had it. No, God would not have you in his presence. God would not have you touch his ark, his holy ark. There would be no way to come into that personal relationship like we can today. Backstage pass into the Holy of Holies. Once a year, a high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Just once a year. Imagine Paul Mann. He's there with his robe and his ephod. He's got a rope around his waist, like a cowbell around his neck. Right? And he'd go into the Holy of Holies. And the reason they did that is because if the, if the power of God killed him, we'd be able to pull him back out again. All right? And then we can make, I don't know, a winter jacket out of him or something. <laughs> all right? Make, make better use of him. Seal, seal jacket. Right? Waistcoat. We no longer need to do that. All right? This is good news. When a loving, relational God said enough is enough, he made the ultimate demonstration of his love and he died on a cross. And that dying on a cross wasn't just so that we can have salvation, wasn't just so that we've got a free ticket to heaven. He did that so that real worship, real creative worship, what God had always intended, could be reinstated, that you can be in relationship with the loving Father. That's what real worship is. God always intended it to be deep, intimate relationship. There is no longer a temple, no longer a holy of holies, no longer a need to make sacrifices as David did. David make, made countless sacrifices for countless mistakes. Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice, has wiped away all of your mistakes.
Every single one of them. It's that modern hymn. Oh, redemption, sweet redemption, Satan has no hold on me. Now I have indemnity. My debt's been paid and I am free. So impoverished in my sin, I should have died, but my Christ's eternal ransom has my every need provide. A million sins incurred my fault, but Christ has died once and he's crushed them all. That's the God that we worship. We now have complete access to the Holy of Holies. Did you know God's here this morning? Hopefully, maybe you even felt it this morning as we worshipped, God's presence here. And it's not that God is holding out at a distance. God is here with us. God is near. It was never God's intention to be put into a museum cabinet and just admired from afar, just for his glory. That was never God's intention in worship. God's intention in worship was to have a relationship where we draw near to him and understanding and recognising what he has done for us and who he is and our understanding of how worthy he is leads me to exuberant worship, leads me to exuberant praise. The simplest way to define worship is what, is what William Thrasher says. He said, is that it is to attribute worth to God's revealed character. The command to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name in Psalm 29 does not mean that we try to add anything to God. It simply means that we acknowledge him for who he is and in this way glorify and honour him. And do you know that's exactly what's happening now in heaven? Read it in Revelation. All it is is that they see his revealed character and they worship him. Holy, 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 who was and is and is to come, Lord God Almighty. And it goes on and on and on and on. Three principles. And I've probably missed out a load. I probably haven't done it justice, but it doesn't matter. Three principles we can get out of this verse. And despite the psalm being in the Old Testament, the three principles remain. The first one, We've got to put God first. Now let's come back to where we started. What are the things that you ascribe worth to most? What are the things that you have that you give your time to? And don't just say, oh, well, of course it's God. Maybe look at it this way. Even just this past week, what was the thing that you ascribe most of your time to? What are the things that you maybe ascribe most of your money to this week? Sometimes that's often, often a good indication of what you're ascribing your worth to. God is not a distant God. We've got to right-size him this morning, but at the same time, I would say, God, you are amazing. God's here to have a relationship with you. And often it's in the quiet whisper, I'm here for you. We can respond to him and respond to what God is doing. God is a relational God. Can we have the bands back up, please? Maybe we could just stand, because what we're going to do is just worship him. It says in the Bible that the nations, all the people of the world, are like a drop in a bucket. 
God is bigger than we could ever imagine. God has more knowledge than we would ever know. His power knows no limit. His presence has no boundaries. This is the God we worship. This is the God we have here this morning. And for some of us, even me, when I prepped this, right, let me be honest, I had to repent before God because I was like, God, I have boxed you in. Because I worship this God, but actually my understanding and view of God is just so small. When that's never the way that God intended it to be. God is a God who is bigger and greater than any other. Words cannot describe it. Words cannot describe it. It's indescribable. Words cannot fathom. My understanding, I cannot fathom how great your works are, O Lord, the psalmist says. So what we're going to do this morning, just for the last kind of ten minutes or so, we're just going to come back to worship. And like I said again, we want to start with God, we want to finish with God. God needs to be the centre of everything that we do. And actually, if I'm honest, there's not going to be a huge amount of direction now from the front. This is your time to worship. This is your time now to say, God, you are number one. And when it comes to leading worship, do you know that you lead yourself into worship? We have fantastic facilities here. We are so blessed. And we have a, an incredible worship team, and I honour them. But they don't lead you into worship, guys. You lead yourself into worship. The responsibility for worship comes when you say, God, you are worthy, because I know you are, not just because Janaire or Alid or anyone else says you are. It comes from a revealed character of what he does in your heart, okay? So we're just going to continue worshipping him. And where you are, just respond to him. We believe in bodily ministry, but just hold back for a minute. Let's just give God all his due. You'll notice that when we start worship, often here on a Sunday, and we'd encourage you in your small groups as well, we don't start with songs like, fill me in you. We don't start songs like, Jesus, I need this, I need that. The way we start worship is, God, you are amazing. God, you are good. God, you have done that. God, you have done this. You are faithful here. You are honouring there. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to start with that first principle now and say, God, you are worthy. We need to tear up this small God box this morning. We need to raise our faith levels this morning. And we need to be expectant that if this God of the universe is here in a relational form this morning, we will not go out of this place the same. A sign of true worship is that when we come out of it, we have, through godly obedience, done something and changed from something that was before it. So we're going to sing some songs, we're going to worship San or Paul or whoever will close the meeting in a little while, but let's just give God his due, right? Let's just right-size God this morning, and let's just say, God, you are worthy. Put him in perspective this morning.